Hello and welcome to The Design Slate, the podcast that brings together design experts and industry leaders to talk trends, current affairs, and the future. Brought to you by Progressive AE. Now, here's the show. Good morning. I'm Mike Perry. I'm an architect and a principal here at Progressive AE and also lead the Universal Design Consulting Practice. And what that really means is that uh, we help organizations and create environments that are truly inclusive, safer, and really just more accessible. And I think when, when we help organizations, it's really about helping them keep their, their promise that they state in their mission. So it's really about valuing the diversity of people um, as part of the human experience and just really better representing the world we live in. So I'd like to also introduce uh, Choli Aronson. Choli is a project manager here at Progressive AE and is focusing on our housing practice. So Choli, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am an architect. Uh, I have been in the field for 23 years uh, and I am dyslexic. So one of the neurodivergent population. Uh, In fact, dyslexics make up about 10% of our population currently and For a long time, that was seen as a a really difficult, challenging thing to be and be an architect. And so it's been part of my sort of lexicon Mm -hmm. throughout my career. But I have a strong focus on housing. I have been working in housing on and off throughout my entire career. Uh, And one of the interesting things and sort of what drove my passion for housing is that my family moved a lot. And so I've lived in over 17 different houses. So you start to really be able to focus on the differences. Uh, In addition, my grandmother was in public housing on one side and I had a a wealthy side of the family. So I've been able to sort of experience the whole gamut of of types of housing, which I think has really helped me um, be able to understand a lot of what's out there. And a lot of how housing uh, can be good and how housing can be bad and how it can affect every part of our life experience. Mm-hmm. So so living in 17 different homes, basically, um, and kind of fast forwarding to today, I know I thought it was interesting. You recently shared an example of some poor design in your own home. So uh, maybe you could talk to us about that a little bit. Sure. I first moved to Charlotte, North Carolina in 2017, and my faucet in my kitchen sink was a mystery to me. As a dyslexic, left and right have never been my strong suit. And this was one where you turned it left for hot or right for hot, I'm still not certain. And and it was, is the, the front of the faucet to the left hot or is the back of the faucet to the left hot? I constantly had to ask my kids to help me figure out how to get hot water out of the faucet. And for three years, I'm struggling with this sink. And then, you know, something else happens and we have to replace the faucet. And all of a sudden, it's up for hot, down for cold. I've never had a problem again. Mm. You know, and it's these little things that we don't necessarily always think about. But, I mean, really, this was a, a daily struggle for me. And even as an architect, I'm like, didn't think about just replacing the faucet with something that made more sense. But... It's just a really easy, simple solution to help reduce that frustration, make life easier. And, and that's really what I think we need to focus on when we're talking about designing housing for a neurodivergent population, mm-hmm. but also just for, for everyone. You know, 
Sometimes we are designing things to look cool, to be cool, designing just for design's sake, yeah. and not necessarily thinking about the utility of some of the stuff that we design, the clarity of function of things that we design. Um, and really, when we come right down to it, especially when we're designing homes, this is a place that should be tailored to the occupants. It should make you feel safe, make you feel comfortable. This is where you go to recharge. We don't want you to have yeah. to struggle in your home. Yeah. We'll get into some of those strategies because you're already kind of leaning in that direction. <laughs> but just as maybe thinking about, so we know that uh, between 17 and 20% of the population is considered neurodivergent. And I think it's important just to understand that neurodivergent doesn't necessarily have to mean you're on one end of the spectrum because it's really about that we all perceive information differently, adding to our uniqueness and our diversibilities, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Definitely. we need to think of it as more of a, you know, from A to Z kind of a thing. When we think about some of those strategies to assist and help a neurodivergent population in housing, Let's talk about some of those. I mean, one that comes right to the top is wayfinding. Right. Right. I think, you know, one of the biggest things, especially in multifamily, uh, but it, it crosses a lot of different subjects, hotel design, hospital design. If you have a long corridor filled with doors and they all look the same and we're relying on, on signage, right? Well, not everybody can process signage in the same way. Not everybody is going to be able to to deal with this, you know, 20 doors in a row that all look the same, finding their place, it can be very off-putting. It can be very confusing. Um, and it's not sort of a safe place. And, and also dealing with our aging population, we have very similar concerns, right? So we want a lot of clarity um, in the way the building is set up, where we can see where we're going. Mm -hmm where we can see the purpose of where we're going. You know, if you enter your front door, I want to be able to very easily understand, I can see my path to the bathroom. I can see where I'm supposed to navigate through, through my building, through my apartment, through my spaces, just in general, to help us really understand where we are in space. Sometimes that's as simple as, the third floor is, is more orange themed. The fourth floor is more blue themed, et cetera. Just so you, you know, if you're in a, a 15 story building and yeah. every floor looks the same, it's very easy for you to get turned around. Yeah. And um, the further away from differentiation of our spaces we get, the more confusing that can be for a lot of people. Yeah. I think of other strategies kind of all combined in there. I mean, really what we're talking about is multiple modes of communication. Exactly. Right. It's just not a number on a plaque on a wall, you know, room 26, but it could be an object. It could be a color. Uh, the lighting is really important. If you do have a long corridor, you don't want bright spots and dark spots, bright spots. You want it to be a well-lit corridor. People feel safe. They can easily see. Right. But you also don't want it to be well lit in the way that it's monotone, yeah. right? We want to create pockets. So, you know, it's, it's, we, we have break points, right? So that I can go, okay, my door is the third door after the second seating area can really help a lot of people with wayfinding. You know, if I don't have that breakout or I don't have that, that window that helps with my, right. my location, it really can be very difficult. And, and part of that has to do, you know, just with the way 
men and women find spaces differently, right? There's there's the sort of the the jokes about how men and women navigate, right? It's the third, tr- you know, the third left after the tree versus it's on 42nd Street, right? But that goes through the entire population right. and everybody wayfinds in a different way. And we need to really focus on and providing a lot of choice, not just wayfinding numerically, right. but but allowing for lots of different experiences and different ways to perceive our spaces. Yeah, and the architecture has a big role in that, creating transition zones, wider corridors at certain social areas, things like that. Exactly, and, and that's exactly yeah. what, we, what we need to do that's to be, right. make good architecture, yeah. right? So let's go inside of the... The, 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 the residents at sure. this point. Um, you know, some of the things, and, and I've done a lot of interviews with, with various people, especially people who have children um, that are neurodivergent, because that's, that's really where we're finding a lot of challenges, right? Parents who are not neurodivergent, who have neurodivergent yeah. children, and what, what they're trying to adjust their residences for. One of the biggest things that I have um, encountered is the need for choice, right? The need for adaptability. So we're looking at adjustable lighting levels, lighting colors, because we don't know at what time in someone's day, certain things are going to trigger them. So sometimes they need soft lighting. Sometimes you need more vibrant lighting. It really helps to focus you depending on that. Blocking you off from sounds, being able to really take your spaces and have a space that is, is quiet and not being affected by the sounds of other people within your residence so that that becomes a choice. I can choose to be in a quiet space or I can choose to be in a loud space. Uh, smell seems to be a very strong trigger, especially cooking smells and perfumes. Um, and that's something that I don't think in architecture we would deal with a lot. But being able to go to a place that is well-ventilated, where we're not smelling these things that potentially are, are overstimulating us. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do in multifamily. I mean, for a long time, it was you're smelling all of your neighbor's smells, not just your, your cooking smells, right? And we're starting to get that ventilation better. But even still, I mean, trying to figure out how to keep my onions cooking on a stove from making my children's bedroom smell like onions, that's a really challenging thing that we're not, we're not even quite there yet. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be a really powerful trigger yeah. for a lot of people. And then the other thing that, that I don't think we're, we're doing very well yet, but we're getting there, is durable surfaces. A lot of people, when they get overstimulated... Will, will picket things, will be mildly destructive. Um, and not that they're trying to, but they're trying to find a different way to focus their stimulation. And um, picking apart carpet tufts is apparently a very problematic thing for kids with autism. Yeah. Um, and so building more durable, more cleanable surfaces that, that are just easier for us to maintain is a really um, helpful thing for a lot of parents with neurodivergent children. And then there's other things, you know, it sort of depends on your, who you are and how it is, but voice activation is something that we're coming into a lot right now that everybody's using, right? It's really helpful um, to be able to walk into a room and say, Alexa, turn my lights to 50%. I love it, right? Um, and especially when you're, you're working with 
people who have different levels of potentially physical abilities or they're they're so overstimulated that maybe they can't get up to turn off the light fixture but they can they can say mm-hmm. you know calm setting and it readjusts everything to the calm setting yeah. the sound and the lights and the everything that, that's about giving choices again i can either get up and do it or i can i can talk exactly basically and and that is really it it's yeah. it's about being adjustable and giving choices yeah. right and and that ability to accommodate as many different people as we can and it benefits everybody yeah right it's it's great for me it's great for you it's great for my elderly mother who might be too tired to get up or having trouble get up getting up so there's very few downfalls right. of this kind of design right and i think that's one of the big things that that we need to remember is that the neurodivergent population isn't broken right this is this is a group of people that like we said 20% 17 to 20% of the population that's a large group of people and so there's got to be some evolutionary advantage to this type of of thinking yeah. and and that we're really trying to help a very large segment of our population yeah uh, you know just thinking back uh, our research has shown us that you know the very first thing to do is to not think of them or individuals on a spectrum as different. Right. Right. That, that's really the first kind of underlying design principle. I think also the use of low reflectant surfaces. Right. To, to use very also. much so. And patterns. Patterns can be very overstimulating, you know, especially if you've got a lot of different patterns juxtaposed. That can be very confusing. Yeah. It can very much confuse wayfinding because the pattern can overtake your visual field. So a lot of it has to do with being able to adjust your stimulation level, right? Because sometimes you want a very active space and you need to have that ability to have a very active space because that's what that person needs at that time. And sometimes you need the calm space. Yeah. You made me think of something. uh, And I think this is really, really important is, you know, parents coming into a variety of different housing situations and having a child who's on uh, considered neurodivergent at some level. That can be challenging, right? Or not. And so I remember that we, we just recently completed writing a chapter for the National Inclusion Project. And it was about accessibility of equipment uh, and facilities. But one of the strategies we came up with, I thought was pretty interesting, was we provided a toy box. And the toy box is intentionally made up of a variety of items that had texture, different textures, different sounds, you know, allowed you to do different colors, different objects to do different things to, to take out some of that, you know, whether they're, you know, they need a break or not. Right. Whether they're overstimulated yeah, or, or under-stimulated. understimulated. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I think that's a simple strategy, no cost, basically, right. that was could be helpful. We do have a lot of options for that also in, in the more architectural sense, you know, my house is, has all color changing LED lights throughout the house. And it's, I mean, these are consumer available products right. that, that anyone can buy and plug into a regular outlet. And, you know, we found that color has a lot of effect on, on your stimulation level. You know, blues and greens really help bring you calmer sensations and, and help to bring that level down. Whereas oranges and reds and, uh, really help energize mm-hmm. a room. And that's a really simple thing that we can include 
uh, architecturally and, and let that control be had for every space in a building. And, and it can also really help when we're looking at, at days like today where it's sort of gray outside. And that different type of lighting can really affect mood. Mm-hmm. So we can now create more of a sunlight effect on a gray day or on a, a day where it gets dark early because we're in the winter. And that also can really help keep people on track with a schedule. You know, one of the things that a lot of people that have uh, neurodivergence need is to really structure their day in a very particular way that they've designed yep. for themselves. I mean, that's myself included. I need to have things organized my way. Because honestly, if I try to use your organization system, I'm going to lose stuff left, right, and center, right? And part of that has to do with how I structure my day. And when it starts to get dark early, I start to lose that structure. Because it's not, my brain starts to think it's 8 o'clock as opposed to 5 o'clock. And so if I can adjust those light levels to be more of a daylight light level, it starts to reset my brain into what time it really is, as opposed to that, like, oh, we're going to sleep now mindset. And so, you know, those are some things that can really help and are very architectural and very easy for us Mm -hmm. to include. And it's something that as architects, we don't always think about because it's not the, the architecture, right? It's not the built portion of the building, but those are so important, you know, the kinds of carpets we're using, whether it's sound absorbing, whether it's not sound absorbing, the kinds of hard spaces versus soft spaces mm-hmm. that we get, you know, as far as the reverberation um, in different rooms. And, and we want, you know, these very durable materials so we can easily clean them, but then they echo and that can be very off-putting, yeah. you know. So we really just need to start resetting the way we're thinking about things to really control acoustics and, and smell and lighting more so than we've ever done before. Yeah. And the technology is there. That's the wonderful thing is we are finally at a level where the technology has gotten to a point where we have this ability to modify spaces on the fly based on what you need. Well, thanks, Julie, for sharing your story. It was really, really insightful, a lot of fun. I know that kind of going forward, we continue to build upon these strategies. And as you said, we need to start thinking about things differently we need to look at this through a different lens versus designing just for the able-bodied. Right. Right. It's really about opening it up. And I think that's the value of getting, again, a diverse set of stakeholders in the room and talking about the design of a project early on. Right. Right. And I think, you know, one of the big things that we really need to remember is it's not about disabled or able-bodied. Right. Neurodiversion, as I, I tried to mention before, is, is something that definitely has a biological advantage. These are not people that are broken and need to be fixed. This is something that has a different skill set than maybe we're used to. We are really finding, especially dyslexics and autistics, have a, a much better pattern recognition ability than a lot of other people. And they're a huge benefit. You know, the Israeli Special Forces has a division that is all made up of autistic people because they do pattern recognition better than anyone else. And so we're not talking about trying to create spaces to 
enable someone or, or fix someone. Right. We are helping create spaces for potentially the way we all will be in the future. You know, this, this may be yeah. how the human race evolves. We don't know. You never know what is going to be the most beneficial mental state in the future. And honestly, being able to celebrate the diversity of how we all think and, and designing spaces to allow us to all think the way that works best for us is only beneficial for society right. as a whole. That's right. As I said earlier, it's really in my mind, I like to describe it as it's, it's about embracing everyone, all people as part of the, the you know, the, the value and the human experience that we're going through. And I know as, as Progressive AE, we've, we've really put a flag in the ground, you know, with universal design. And we've said, you know, it needs to be part that the, the thinking, the concept of universal design, designing for diverse abilities really should be part of every project. Definitely. And, and so with that, thanks again for sharing your story. And uh, I look forward to, uh, again, spending more time with you and developing some of these strategies uh, for our design teams to take forward. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And, and you know, this is something that at Progressive and especially our housing team, we are very passionate about. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Design Slate, brought to you by Progressive AE. Be sure to subscribe so we can keep bringing you great content. Visit ProgressiveAE.com for more information.